All right, hello there, and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm unindicted co-conspirator Adam A. Donaldson, <laughs> and joining me is... <laughs> Scotty Hertz with breaking news. The CNE food list for 2023 just dropped. <laughs> and man, it looks as hideous as it ever does. $12 mustard ice cream cones. Like, what is this world coming to? You know what's hilarious is I was watching a video on on Reels today uh, on on Instagram and it was somebody who took like uh, ice cream cones uh, from McDonald's the soft serve cones the 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 soft baked cookies and then like they took a thing of like grocery store sprinkles and then mushed it all together in a tub and and they made that as a dessert easily a far better looking dessert than anything at the CNA this year. It's obviously. all proof of end of days anyway. That's just my. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a cheeseburger ice cream cone as you're playing? <laughs> oh, I don't know how those people sleep at night. Where's the five cent Pepsi's man? That's, <laughs> that's yeah. from my speed. <laughs> <laughs> that you open with the button on top instead of the, the tab. Yeah, Remember that? pretty Rem- much. Remember when the Pepsi's open? Anyway. Ten ounces. open sources is cfru's political and current affairs discussion show you can find us here every thursday at 5 p.m as we talk about the latest news items from guelph ontario canada and around the world and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians which this week will be jordy dent who is the executive director of the federation of metro tenants association and he's going to tell us about organizing against landlords rent strikes and other matters on the front line of the housing crisis in toronto that is going to be at the bottom half of the show. But before that, and you know, this is something I wanted to do for a while, actually, is like dedicate the first half of the show to one topic. And boy, is it a topic. And I just want to say off the top, it was super nice of everyone to wait until we were on vacation to uh, to release their most damning scandals. Uh, that was really great. Uh, but last week, Auditor General Bonnie Lissick released the results of her investigation into the sale of Greenbelt land, and boy, was that damning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously, we'll discuss the the details as we go here, but essentially, she said the process was, uh, to, to borrow a phrase, concerning. Mm. Um, that is to say, there wasn't really much of a process at all. It seems that the developers... Uh, including Silvio de Gasparis, who uh, easily has the biggest portion of this land, basically told a staffer in the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing what sections of the green belt to put on sale, and the staffer did. Uh, and then this is the most interesting part at all, it seems. Uh, you, when stuff comes to the cabinet, uh, they don't know anything about it till the day of, uh, and then uh, they just sign off without investigating too hard into it and then it becomes provincial policy so uh 14 out of 15 of lissick's recommendations uh doug ford has said he is going to enact uh the most critical one the 15th which is to cancel the whole darn thing uh he says no and we, we were talking about this on the weekend uh as, you know sitting around uh, shooting the breeze uh in the backyard of the bunker that uh you know it's fruit of the poisonous tree but we're still going to eat the poison <laughs> Yeah, and I think also the uh, whoever gave Doug Ford that Electricians Union t-shirt should be investigated as well. I don't know <laughs> who it is, but that should just be folded into the the, uh, the scandal because that's scandalous. It's embarrassing when you're in the trades to try and... Anyway, 
that's a bit of an aside, but yeah. So the the grenade drops when when we're when we're off. So we're we're back at it. But yeah. So yeah, you gave a bit of a pricey there's what's going on. It is it is a bit complicated, but mm-hmm. as you said, the fifteenth recommendation, uh, taking away the uh, plum picks from the friends, isn't going to happen. So uh, the pressers have been embarrassing to say the least, and super uncomfortable. You can see it in Doug Ford's face and the rest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's- Affairs Clark and Bethan Falvey, whoever they whoever they talk to. But uh in- interesting to me is the uh digging that some people have done to go back in time because I don't think Doug Ford fully appreciates that the internet is forever. <laughs> Reaching back to 2018 and showing uh a meeting that he had with some uh developers that was caught on tape saying, We're gonna open up the green belt. And of course, this prompted his famous promise. That has led to the signs in many Guelph neighborhoods and everywhere. Keep your green belt promise saying, oh, no, 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 we won't touch the green belt mm-hmm. until we do. Right. Mm-hmm. So this and all of this is dropped now. And and I, th- I mentioned on the socials as well that I can finally stop saying allegedly <laughs> because the jig is up. The friends, I, I didn't know how deep it went, but as, as we've seen, it's pretty much here's what we want, guys. Hand that over to Ford's chief of staff and others who then process it. And they end up with those two developers in particular that you mentioned, Michael Rice as well, DeGasperson and Rice, end up mm-hmm. with 92% mm-hmm. of this piece that's being extracted from the Greenbelt. Now they're doing this, and I guess it's kind of like horse trading saying because the legislation is that it has to be a, a constant number. Mm-hmm. So I guess they use that as a bit of a loophole to say, no, no, we're just going to, we're going to take a piece from here and a piece from there and make it up. And, uh, you know, they, they won't make it up. And this has pissed absolutely everyone off beyond the fact that they're doing exactly what they were elected to do. And by the people they were elected <laughs> to, to seal the deal on something like this. It another bit that came up was, Ford in the last election and the one prior talking about the fat cats, which is a term I don't really like, but it's, mm. it's, I mean, it comes from way back early labor days, that, that atypical stereotypical businessman with the, with the cigar, yeah, the fat cat and how to all these guys are making deals behind closed doors. It's like, guy, it's you, man. <laughs> the the mirror has one face and yours is in it, son. Like it's just <laughs> so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But he is ridiculous. I've said this before, but I'm uh, almost embarrassed for him. That it's just <laughs> so pathetic. Uh, yeah, it is ridiculous on multiple levels because you know, thinking back to that the 2018 election where you had Ontario proud um posting all those negative memes about kathleen Wynne and attacking the liberals i mean the liberals were probably gonna lose that election anyway but um you know who was funding ontario proud developers um that's been sort of proven you know that meeting you talked about the it's funny if you talk about doug ford not knowing that the internet's forever i was thinking about that picture and uh <laughs> when he had covid and it was like we got we got Doug Ford a laptop so we can keep working through his COVID diagnosis. <laughs> and he's writing on a piece of paper. Yeah, in in the picture, he's writing on a piece of paper. With the line. It's, I mean, it's yeah. It, I'm busy it, with the thing. I'm up all night. I'm up till I think it was up to midnight once, and that's become like I'm up all the time. I'm up twenty four seven. I don't sleep anyway. Well, on top of this, I mean, this this goes much deeper. I mean, the 
Bonnie Lissick's credit, she also cited a lot of the the, invest, the investigative reporting from the Star and Narwhal and the others about shining lightness, and and that, that's still going. Like Global News dug into uh, phone records. It turns out Doug Ford didn't use his government phone for a whole week in November, which seems kind of sketch when you're the premier of a uh, province with 15 million people in it. Um, you know, he, he, there are no records. And if he's doing government business on his phone, and that's another thing too, is that we have people doing government business on private cell phones and um private email accounts and you know it's we've learned from united states politics that's a you don't, don't want to be using your own emails to do government business and all that it's just i th- 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 we haven't quite got to the bottom of this yet and i appreciate that the i think a lot of it is just the sort of the general concern about the environment and you know after the summer we've had you know why wouldn't you be um but Again, this is a process story. This is about some people getting access. And this is all over a lot of the housing stuff. You know, um, we see that locally too, if I can uh, diverge into sort of a local angle for a minute, which is that we have so many, like the Claire Maltby secondary plan or the comprehensive zoning bylaw um, being appealed by like a dozen different developers each, all mm-hmm. of whom, all of those developers whom had much greater longer consistent access to city staff than you or me or um anyone who delegates in front of city council on a regular basis um or activists in, in you know the you know the poverty or the homelessness community um but then they still take it to the OLT if they don't get exactly what they want yep. and it's the same thing at the provincial level these guys have extraordinary access to ministers, to staffers. And I mean, th- this is another piece of it too. Like, how is this guy, uh, Ryan um, Amato? I think that's it, Ryan Amato. Mm-hmm. How's he, yeah. how's, how does he still have a job today? To my knowledge, he still is the chief of staff for the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing. He's somebody who took meetings with developers, did what the developers told him to do, and then brought it to his boss, who enshrined it as provincial policy and then who took it to his boss who also enshrined it in provincial policy and i think this is the biggest part maybe not the biggest part of this um is that you can screw up the government can acknowledge they screwed up but they don't have to do anything about it which is i think well and truly bizarre and unfortunately you know we can you know write to mpps and you know our local mpp who's one of who's an opposition leader can you know, uh, shake harder at Doug Ford, so to speak. But, you know, there really is kind of no, you know, alternative, uh, I guess, except pressure. But I mean, if the the auditor general could come out and say like, hey, you did bad, don't do it again. And then you don't, you decide that you're not going to undo the, the, the fruit of the mistake in the first place. You know, what, what, what are, what are the options? I, I, and then of course it's August too. And who knows Mm -hmm. what, you know, we're already talking about a teacher strike. Who knows what fresh hell made erupt in after Labor Day? So it's, it, you know, the, the question is, what recourse um, is there now? And can, you know, Doug Ford et al. do the tried and true routine of just like ducking? I mean, I, I almost felt sorry for Beth and Falvey on Monday because it feels like somebody pushed him out the door so that everyone else could get out the back door. Um hmm. <laughs> it's it just like it was a quarterly financial update it didn't really require a press conference 
No, and I think this is part of the attempt to deflect. And I'm sure they're hoping for, well, they're they're gunning for war with the teachers again. So all of that will, hope they're hoping in all likelihood that will distract from all of this going on. But they'll mm-hmm. have to pay attention if the fact that this report has been handed over the to the OPP shakes anything loose. Now, let's go back a bit in time to the yes. scandal that pretty much... Well, it did get rid of Dalton McGinty. He had to step down. And this is the scandal that the conservatives back then couldn't shut up about. The gas plant scandal. Yep. McGinty had to leave when was installed. But what shook loose from that was procedural stuff. Exa- exactly what is going on here. This this is several levels worse. Everyone's forgotten about the gas plant scandal for the most part, until it, well, somebody like me brings up or it does mm-hmm. come back into play because it was a significant scandal, but it wasn't, I mean, in some ways it should be about the money, but it didn't even become about that. McGinty's chief of staff, David Livingston, convicted of abusing his position of power to promote the interests of the governing party at the expense of the democratic process. That's a direct quote. I didn't pull that out of the air. (laughs) But he went to jail for that, for not following process and procedure in very similar terms to what's going on with this. This Mm. is next level worse, just simply because of, to me anyway, because of the the corporate involvement, the friends, as I always, always call them. (laughs) So, and that, that's a different, that's a different layer in addition to the fact that the, the, well, let's call it the democratic process wasn't followed. Mm-hmm. So you'd said about uh, Amato not stepping down. I think they're just going to wait until he's sacrificed, and he will be. Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's gonna have to go. Somebody somebody's head has to roll, and they don't. As long as it's not Doug Ford or um, Minister Clark or Bethan Bethan Falvey, mm-hmm. who are still the the friends of the friends. Uh, then that's his writing. And it doesn't matter. Is they'll, 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 what was that? Sorry, it's his writing. Beth and Falvey's. It's it's his writing. Yeah. all the alt birds. Land is yeah. For somebody like um, for the Beth, Beth and Falvey seems that they're all kind of doing this whole. I was unaware. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, that's an absolute porky. I don't know. There's there's, there's no way you don't know this is going on. Mm. And what what speaks to that as well as this business, as you said, that's just dropped. With the phones, mm-hmm. because I mean, I don't know if if Doug picked that up from his brother because Rob Ford was famous for giving out his phone number, mm-hmm. and he would call people back, right? So he's he's held on to that because that's let's call it a Ford trait, mm-hmm. like barbecues across the province now. But that's that's on the story. <laughs> and flying there on a private jet, essentially, or was it the OPP jet? I don't know. I mean, there there there's another like <laughs> baby scandal dropped like just this week too. It's like why what? This is exactly you were calling people out on this. The fat cats. This is what they do. So you, you do know you're behaving like one. But when you when you are uh, pals with them, there are certain expectations. Mm-hmm. And the the business with the private, he, we know that these people. Well, we don't know with a certainty. So allegedly, let's go back to allegedly. <laughs> these guys are in his phone because do you invite them to the stag and doe and the wedding? Mm-hmm. on your work phone no you wouldn't do that mm-hmm. so i suspect that that is going to be an ex- it's going to be like well they're he's busy saying that they're not friends but you who 
I guess business people do this. You you invite the business it's work, the work buddies come to the wedding if you're tight with them, right? But mm-hmm. it's all this this overlapping stuff. It's like, you know, no no one in the regular universe invites the these folks to maybe to the stag and because they've got money. But anyway, I, I'm diverging a bit, but it is related because it's like, you know, the, the missing week. I mean, there's obviously going to be other stuff that's missing. Be like, he'll he'll just be, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I didn't follow the process. We'll we'll, we'll make improvements. It's like, well, you, you knew you were doing this. So it's that's why it smacks of a cover up. And I'm going to say, because it is. Mm-hmm. It can't be. And if there's no other reason to do that, I don't use my, my work phone for home stuff. Never have. No when you're not supposed to you sign a thing that says you're not gonna you're not gonna do that but mm-hmm. uh yeah so is, it's endless it's almost bottomless mm-hmm. at least at this point in the week we'll see by this time next week right yeah and there was a thing too that i, I can't remember which which one but doug ford you know hanging out i think this was before he was premiere but it you know shows the extent of like how chummy he is with certain business interests you know hanging out in the skybox at a miami dolphins game with some developer who invites him like yeah come and hang out my skybox you know it's 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 one thing in the business world where you have these kind of like handshake deals and you do it on the golf course or you do it like in the skybox at a leafs game or wherever you are the chicago bears or whatever um things in government have to be super transparent though um, because you have to be, I mean, it's frankly, you should be, you know, this tr- honest and transparent with all sources of revenue, but because it's taxpayers money and ultimately you're accountable to voters and rent pay- rate payers, you know, you have to be able to show them the, the, the proverbial receipts. The gas plant thing is interesting. I was never big on the gas plant scandal. I mean, it, you don't have to be big on scandal, but like in terms of like scandals, I just found it kind of boring because Everybody kept beating the liberals head over the heads with it. And it's like if you want to, you know, you want to go after them for for money or misspent money or for making promises that it wasn't going to cost as much money as it did. That's fine. The point is, every political party wanted those gas plants gone, and the liberals were able to do it because they were in power at the time. Like, mm-hmm. did they do it in a crappy way? Yes, of course they did. But there is like a net public good, right? Because the people in those areas didn't want those gas plants either. Um, this though, this only makes a couple of people richer. And like you could say, well, yeah, like, like you have a plan for like, eleven hundred houses that are gonna, most of them are going to be affordable. It's like, well, first of all, I've been to enough municipal planning <laughs> meetings to know that sometimes a developer comes in and says affordable, and what they mean is like the bare bones definition, which is like eighty percent of market value, which is like completely unaffordable for a great many people. Second of all, um. It's in the middle of nowhere Pickering, which has to, first of all, get receive municipal services, water, wastewater, stormwater, hydro, phone, fiber, whatever. Third, um, someone living in downtown, living and working in downtown Toronto and can't afford to, you know, find an apartment there. They're going to move to middle of nowhere Pickering because the house is affordable there. And that's the only like because this is one of the few places where we're creating quote unquote affordable housing. It doesn't it, it completely doesn't make any sense. And a lot of this doesn't make any sense. At least uh, like the whole thing about swapping land, it's like, well, it's okay we to take this green belt land away because we're adding green belt land over an ear in. It's like, well, I mean, if you're measuring things by like plots of land, yeah, I guess you're evening things out. But you know, 
you're talking about quality of land. Like if you're swapping a forest in Erin for mm. fertile farmland in Pickering, is that yeah. an equal swap? And you know, what about things like rivers and and groundwater and aquifers and and streams? You know, you can't move those things either. And it, so it just like they're, they're, the idea here that this is uh, a positive because we're getting houses on it. Well, first of all, it's going to be years before we get housing because there's a whole separate municipal process that has to, this has to go through. And then on top of it, and th I found this is kind of something that's gotten lost in the outrage about the the actual mechanics of this. But Bonnie Lissick's information was like, you know, we, in in our deliberations, we found that you you can actually build 1.5 million houses on the land that's available right now. You don't need to dip into greenbelt, which is on top of the econ you know you can say what you want about environmental defense, which is thoroughly anti Ford, anti conservative. <laughs> but you know, they had a report earlier this year that said, you know what, there's enough land in Ontario, we can build two million homes, and we don't have to dig into the greenbelt either. So now there's like this kind of like double confirmation. That just whatever our problem is, it's it doesn't involve not having enough land. There's enough land. Sure. Uh, this only makes two guys, you know, eight <laughs> billion dollars richer. Probably more like sixteen to seventeen billion dollars richer. Well, yeah, and that, that's the problem is that the friends don't own the land in question. Like somebody mm -hmm. mentioned in the today on the weekend about Imico, mm -hmm. which is still oh, that was me. Yeah, and now I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going on the assumption that everyone knows that that was okay, you. Okay, fair enough. Fair but enough. Uh, yeah, and I'm the, the bunker is near there, and I walk by there a lot. And I'm like, you should do something. But the problem is, and I don't like this term either, is virgin land. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the, uh, let's talk about Pickering for a second, and maybe even Aaron, because part of the problem, as you mentioned or alluded to, is services, and there are none. And Aaron is still a place that's still, as far as I understand it, pretty much still on septic. Yeah. Electrical is one thing, but septic, yep. uh, plumbing and water supply, water sources are huge. Now, I don't know if they figure they have a better shot at Pickering, but these lands in Pickering, if I understand it right, were the ones that were many, many years ago, mm. like upwards of 50 when they were planning to put another airport in Pickering. There's this, it, it's kind of why this land has remained the way it has. Now, a lot of it was, and some of it done by conservative governments as well. A lot of it like Duffins Creek Preserve. That goes way back. It wasn't as if they you, that was it was incorporated into the greater Greenbelt picture, whatever that was, twenty years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. But some of it was already. You no, know, we better not touch that because X, Y, Z, including water supply and riparian buffers and all those things, and agricultural is agricultural as well. Which is, I mean, these are really two different things. Agriculture is part of the colonial project, but we all have to eat, right? So yeah. it's. It's a bit of a, a bit of a balancing act, but you know, it's not no like it's getting cheaper to ship things either. Yeah, because I, I knew a couple of people that lived on those lands, and their farm had been it, it was in this weird limbo state for years and years and years. And meanwhile, the the farm managed to progress another generation through the well. We're waiting for this damn airport. Mm. But since they've cut things like development charges that municipalities are unable to get from these wealthy individuals and their you know greater family of developers how in the absolute hell are they supposed to put the services in for these places right mm -hmm. so this, this it's just this great question as to well okay you're going to get approved and then you're just you're going to wait and then 
they'll probably play the MZO card like they did before. And this this was what was it? It's two years ago now, right? Mm-hmm. When this was all starting to bubble up. Fast tracking development was like something like six MZOs in this area. The, let's call it the first attack, right? <laughs> the 413 deal. First strike, and yeah. <laughs> there are some beautiful, you can track them down. Not that you can see them if I share them on Facebook anymore. So stop doing this kind of thing. But there are some beautiful graphics online of the, you know, follow the arc of the 413. You can see where all of the friends have property on that. And you can see the same thing with this these specific deals with the green belt and how all these people kind of interleave with each other, whether it's the ex Tories that are all now lobbyists Mm -hmm. that have the ear of the government. Mm And that goes back to the developers. It's this circular thing. It's this closed circle that you get when you elect conservatives specifically, Mm -hmm. but a business minded government where it's all of their friends Mm -hmm. and associates and ex washed up Tories that go straight into lobbying. <laughs> They're all ex. So who's one? Um, I hadn't heard his name in ages. Peter Van Loan, mm. part of the gang. Frank mm-hmm. Cleese, part of the gang. So mm-hmm. it'd be obvious to anyone if you showed them this graphic before any of this even happened, you'd say, I know how this is going to go down. Mm-hmm. You scratch my back, we'll scratch all your backs, and everybody's happy. We're, we're heading into fall. Um, Bill 23 has gutted municipal budgets like up in waterloo region they're talking about 10 percent increase that's just for the region that's not for kitchener waterloo cambridge and all the little municipalities 10 percent on the for the region uh, just the region and to Um, maintain status quo pretty much right like it's not yeah yeah it's gonna be great advancements with that right and and you know the the municipal not the municipal the provincial government comes out and doug ford comes out and says like we're going to make municipalities whole it's like well how are you going to make whole we're going to have third party audits okay when do the audit starts the audits haven't started yet. They no. cherry they cherry pick Toronto, Mississauga, Brampton, Caledon, Newmarket, and I think Ottawa, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's like we're gonna have a third party out of these six municipalities. Remember, there are 444 municipalities in Ontario. We're gonna have these six and we're gonna do the third party audit, and then we're gonna move on to the rest. It's almost September. Uh Guelph starts its budget process in October. Mm. So, like <laughs> If you know if they're gonna if the plan is to make us whole, they're running out of time, and the the feeling is like this fall as municipalities are doing their budget, especially places like Guelph that do a multi year budget, it's gonna be a gong show. People are gonna have a heart attack when they see the proposed tax levies this fall, and that's that's not a Guelph thing. That's gonna be in Kitchener. That's gonna be in Stratford, London, Halton Hills, wherever. Uh, And it's because they've totally. They've they've all they've cooked the chicken before it's even hatched. Uh, I'm, I'm that's not a great metaphor, but that's <laughs> that's essentially the case. So like the green belt, yeah, get angry about the green belt, but it's also ultimately like it's a very small, very corrupt piece of an overall just like huge bag of turds that is sitting on the doorstep that is <laughs> probably going to be lit on fire this fall just to just to, just to bring people down after we were off vacation for two weeks. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna see when I when I, whenever we talk about this because it's gonna obviously come up again. But yes, it will definitely come up again. Um, housing is the issue that we're talking about a lot, and we're gonna talk to someone who, uh, it, you know, getting people housed and supporting renters—that's his everyday job. We're gonna talk to Jordy Dent after the break. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. 
Well, I don't think there's many songs about blowing holes in the green belt, but nope. uh, that was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking about writing a song about it, you, sh- you should do that. Yeah. Sarah Harmer from her album, I'm a Mountain, from a few years back. And that song was called Escarpment Blues. Mm-hmm. Pretty blue up on the escarpment these days, mm-hmm. I'll tell you mm-hmm. what. Uh, it's pretty also pretty blue in Toronto where uh, there is a lot of, I mean, obviously the rent is too damn high, as uh, borrow a phrase. Um, but there is also a lot of, uh, shall we call it, chicanery going on behind the scenes, people's rent being blown up you have dem evictions rent evictions uh landlords coming in saying like hey my sister-in-law's got to live here for three months while her house is being to gauss so now you're homeless and uh, a lot of stuff like that uh one of the people on the front lines of sort of fighting for the tenants is jordy dent who is the executive director of the federation of metro tenants association uh, we don't really have a group like this in Guelph, although we do have like people who are, you know, poverty, anti-poverty activists and uh, labor people and uh, homelessness advocates who are all fighting good fight, of course. But, um, you know, to have like an actual tenants association um, who fights for on behalf of all tenants uh, across the city is something that we don't have. So that's why we reached out to Jordy Dent and tapped into his expertise to talk about sort of what's going on from the advocacy perspective of trying to make sure people aren't being, uh, I guess, forced out of their accommodations and, and because essentially they don't know their rights and how he's trying to raise awareness about renters' rights and fighting the good fight, um, not necessarily against landlords, but certainly against uh, the bad landlords, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get into that. And uh, so we'll hit play on our interview with Jordy Dent starting right now. Okay, Jordy Dent, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us here. Uh, maybe to begin with, could you maybe describe a bit for our listeners the the work you do as uh, the executive director of the Federation of Metro Tenants Association? Yeah, um, so I'm the ED for the FMTA or the Tenant Federation. And mostly what I do is a lot of administration. So things like making sure the our grant applications and grant reports are filled out. We've got enough supplies. The phones are working. I also handle a lot of the media and some kind of more big ticker infrastructure items. Um, but I don't do a lot of the actual organizing, which is about nine, you know, 90% of the work that we do is just on the ground working with tenants and helping with them. It's mostly done by our staff who are unionized with QP 1281. Um, they do the bulk of the kind of on the ground backbreaking work with tenants in the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um I noticed in in doing my research for this that it's the 50th anniversary of the Tenants Association this year. And I mean, appreciating your you haven't been around for all 50 years, um, but, you know, groups like yours have that institutional knowledge. So it begs the question, have in in terms of, you know, the housing conditions and and tenants fighting for their rights and fighting high rent, has it ever been this bad in, in the history of the FTMA? Uh, in the history of the Tenant Federation, probably not. Again, I haven't been around for the full 50 years. <laughs> right. but, um, I don't think that we've ever had um, twin kind of crises happening in our history. Um, people sometimes say this is the worst housing crisis we've ever had. And I often remind them that colonization was much worse for Indigenous populations that were evicted far worse than anything going on today. Mm. Uh, but in our history today, it, it's really bad. And it's really kind of two uh, twin crises kind of happening at the same time, in my opinion. 
One is a 30-year-long um, lack of building housing by the government. Um, basically, construction of housing has been privatized 30 years ago. Uh, and that caused this slow kind of pincer in terms of prices that really um, was met with the second crisis, which was like a demand crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, in my position, this has largely been a post-financial crisis problem that hasn't just affected Canada, it's affected a number of countries around the world. Right around 2010, a bunch of countries all started to have major housing prices, uh, major issues with housing prices and rental prices. And both of those things we're kind of dealing with today. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about some of the on the ground work that your organization does, um, I guess I hate to ask you to pare it down to like maybe two or three, but you know, just in terms of a daily basis of what comes through uh, the tenants association in terms of you know help people are looking for and 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 questions people have sort of what what does that look like on a daily basis you know we one of the services that we run at the tenant federation is a hotline and one of the nice things about the hotline is you get bulk kind of complaints or questions from tenants uh and because we've been doing it for so long you get to kind of see trends now they change over decades you know, about 10 years ago, the number one question we had on our hotline by far was issues with repairs. Mm -hmm. um, just a common issue, right? You can't get the landlord to do the damn repairs. Can't get them to, you know, deal with the cockroaches or, you know, uh, make sure the lights are working properly. And again, uh, I think a lot of people understand this and a lot of people probably understand why that was the most common complaint. But that changed 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, you started to see a shift. And the number one issue we were dealing with wasn't maintenance. It was like rent being too high um, and the thing that often comes with that, illegal evictions. Mm -hmm. Those started being our top things. And so today, um, if you were to, again, probably uh, uh, survey our tenants, the major issues you're gonna see are gonna be uh, above guideline rent increases, uh, just the cost of rent in general. Like if you try to move now, you're often paying $500 more a month, $1,000 more a month, and then illegal evictions. Uh, which come with that, which, you know, you, you read a lot about rent evictions, um, but there's also uh, probably even more issues with, um, uh, you know, landlord fraud where they claim they're going to move in. They have no intention to do so just to defraud you of your rental contract. Mm -hmm. there, I, I've seen that going around, um, you know, people being told by their landlord, you know, you have to move out because I'm moving my family in. And sometimes it's it's there was one instance in around the Guelph area where I was reading somebody saying that their landlord asked them to move out temporarily so that his family can move in as like work was being done on their home, which I mean, I don't want to question the, the, I don't want to question the veracity of people I don't know, but at, at the same time, there's something about that that seems absolutely skeevy that even if the intention is like we're just going to do this temporarily there's no guarantee for that tenant that they get to come back to their their home and pay the same rent and you, you know the, is that a, kind of like a loophole in the system like in terms of like talking about where we should be making things better for tenants is like are there a lot of you know kind of loopholes like these our our estimation is an ontario wide there's about 40 to 60,000 fraudulent evictions every year. These numbers are coming from like the download rates of forms and what like landlords themselves are telling us. Like they're saying this is rampant fraud in this. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a loophole in the sense that um, it's something that I think landlords are absolutely exploiting illegally, uh, and it's just massive criminal fraud. Then, you know, again, if you're rich, the police have already been defunded. Um, <laughs> so again, you don't really have to worry about you know the police aren't going to do anything about this. They don't care about uh, you know millions of dollars of uh, fraud damages against poor people. They don't investigate that really. Um, so, you know, you can call it a loophole, but it's, it's, a, it's more like an open secret. Mm. Everyone knows this is happening. Everyone knows landlords are abusing this. Everyone knows that landlords are abusing this to jack up rents. Um, but I think as the green belt fiasco shows you, like, this is all on purpose, right? This is all to enrich landlords and developers, um, who are, as you can see, are great friends with the current batch, uh, provincially. Um, so, you know, the province knows this is going on. Um, and in fact, not only they're not trying to stop it, they're, in our opinion, trying to facilitate it. And nothing says this better than I think Bill 84 or 184, I forget what, but, you know, basically the provincial government uh, passed a rule saying that if you illegally raise the rent on a tenant and don't get caught for a year, it becomes legal. Right. They're, they're, they're legalizing illegal landlord behavior. Uh, and again, I think that just speaks to um, the reason why they're doing that is because that's their friends. You know, and that and, was, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but like that—that that was the same bill that was supposed to be like curbing rent evictions by, you know, giving. I think one of the things it offered was, you know, it gave, I guess, the current tenants like first right of refusal to stay at their current rent for six months, and it was sort of meant as this sort of idea that the government was taking action on these rent evictions, and it, it didn't the, seem the like the government was... has often uh, sold the cause of the crisis as the cure. Right. Um, which is basically just like turning it over to the private sector, which is the cause right. of the entire crisis. So they've been saying we just have to do more of that uh, and it'll help. It's going to make everything worse and they know it. But there is a side effect to making ever, everything worse, mm. which is that a bunch of rich corporations stand to make a ton of money. And that's why they're going through with this. Right, right, right. And to, to rewind something you said previously, you are hearing from other landlords who are say who, who are telling you that they know landlords who are doing illegal stuff yeah i mean there's um um a guy named harry fine he runs a paralegal business for landlords he's estimated anywhere between 50 to 80 percent of these n12 forms are fraudulent hmm. all right there were eighty four thousand forms downloaded last year so if 80 okay. percent of those are fraudulent that's sixty-eight thousand. right if right. fraudulent that's you know forty thousand. so these are the numbers that we're getting where we're getting Right. And I mean, th this speaks to sort of like the latitude of things like uh, you hear stories about people who are like, I'm I missed my rent by a day and I got an eviction notice or people who are like organizing and pointedly going on rent on, on rent strikes. And the landlord's like, OK, well, if that's going to be your attitude, here's an eviction notice. So it's it, you know, it speaks to sort of maybe landlords who aren't like seriously trying to evict a potentially problem tenant, but uh, landlords using eviction notices as i guess weapons of intimidation yeah again like um the way an eviction notice is written is is pretty poorly actually mm. uh, we're actually trying to work with the landlord and tenant board right now to fix them don't know if they're gonna have any appetite to do that but uh you know when you when you look at a notice right now what it basically says is you're gonna get evicted and so a lot of people see that and they they move out well, we're trying, you know, if you read the, the boilerplate or if you read the fine print, it says this isn't an eviction notice. You don't have to move because you got to this. 
we're mm. trying to get that bumped up because that's actually the most important thing that people need to know, right? Just because your landlord wants you gone in Ontario isn't supposed to mean that you have to go. Right. They have to, they're supposed to commit the courts that you've done something wrong. And again, with the, you know, tens of thousands of incidents of criminal fraud happening, you know, we obviously would prefer people not be subjected to that and not move out when they don't have to. Um, mm -hmm. So we're trying a few things on this, but again, we're not just pushing back against landlords. We're pushing back against a government that's basically been totally policy captured by them. You know, um, I, one of the interesting things about the Greenbelt fiasco was learning, you know, kind of what we've already known. You know, it's not the minister tipping people off. You know, industry is basically writing the policy themselves right now. Right. They're saying, this is the land we want from the Greenbelt, give it to us. And they're doing a similar thing, I think, again, with like landlord and tenant policy. They're mm -hmm. basically writing the legislation and the government's just putting it through. Um, because, again, that's the relationship they have together. You mentioned you weren't sure if the the, the Lord, landlord tenant board had a, an appetite for reform. Shouldn't they, though? Like, aren't they being overwhelmed? Aren't they being like taxed to the system? Like they have like actions in front of them that are years delayed? Well, they have actions that are years delayed for tenants. You right. know, um, part of the problem with the landlord and tenant board is I don't think you can actually even properly call it the landlord and tenant board anymore. It's <laughs> the landlord board. 90% of the applications that happen are landlord applications. That's the biggest problem right off the bat. And the scathing auditor's report that or sorry ombuds uh, person report that came out um basically just destroying any semblance that the ltb shows bias it actually didn't even touch upon that point it touched upon other points though um the ltb uh wait times for landlords are now about five months for tenants they're one to two years so again mm. more anti-tenant bias the backlog for cases again tenants only make up 10 percent of the cases they make up 25% of the backlog, which means, again, if you're a tenant case, you are being shunted, getting worse service in pretty much any element of the landlord and tenant board. And part of the reason for this is because the landlord and tenant board doesn't really care about tenants. They kind of care about the workload in front of them. Right. Part of the reason why they might not want to amend eviction notices um, is because I, I think they like that people move out and then it doesn't end up in the courts gumming up the court process. We want it to end up in the courts because we don't want people to move when they don't have to. We only want them to move if they actually legally supposed to. Um, so we want to see, again, more of these things end up in the courts, not just, you know, people, grandma and grandpa ending up in the streets when they don't have to. Um, but again, the, it's not a tenant board. <laughs> they don't really care uh, if tenants are only making up 10% of the cases. They don't care that tenants are now waiting four times as long to get a hearing as landlords do. They don't care that tenants are having these just ridiculous um, uh, percentages of the backlog. Uh, you know, this is all just extremely anti-tenant um, bias. Uh, and again, they're not really doing anything to fix it. So. Generally speaking, how well informed are the tenants that are coming to you uh, aware of their rights? Um, is this sort of like a big gap in our system where a lot of tenants are just aren't sure what to do in, in terms of, you know, when they get an eviction notice or, you know, how to pressure their landlord to uphold their commitments? And, and you know, I guess how much of that of what you do is is, you know, about the education factor? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, like almost all law that governs people, um, people don't really know it that well. And mm. I see this all the time. It's really interesting having done what I do for the long, uh, as long as I've done it. 
Um, because now what I start to see is just how, you know, much brazen illegality exists in the commercial sector in general. So, you know, I'm, I, you know, worked with, you know, I was working with Bell and Bell just tried to charge me a thousand dollars illegally a few years ago. Uh, and thankfully I knew enough about my legal rights to get that overturned. But, you know, had I not had such a good understanding of the system, they probably would have put that through, put it on our credit report. Um, and again, it was completely illegal. Uh, completely made up. And I'm seeing this more and more often, you know, from Rogers, um, from copying companies, um, from, um, you know, uh, any kind of service contract I have, I started to notice just this river of illegal fees, illegal charges hmm. people are starting to take. And yeah, you really, really note that um, when it, it happens in the landlord and tenant sector, um, because I just see so often people giving money they don't have to give moving out when they don't have to give giving up rights they don't have to give mm. um it's 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 a very um uh kind of niche thing to understand but you have to understand that the number one thing that we do at the tenant federation is just tell people when they can say no mm. That's it. all right so when your landlord says hey you got to pay a couple hundred dollars for ac and you didn't have to pay that before you can say no and again, it, it doesn't often feel that way. Most people don't think that their landlord is just going to try to rip them off left, right, and center. Right. But again, we work in the business as long as we do. You realize that happens all the time. Um, a, again, uh, most people don't have to move out, but the landlord says, you know, maybe they're going to move their daughter in. Again, completely fraudulent, um, but the tenant doesn't know any better and doesn't know that there's this whole uh, system of fighting. Mm -hmm. um, now, again, no is the most important thing I say, but one other thing that you have to understand is that the biggest issue that we deal with is actually stress. Mm. All right. And that stress is, is this, um, Adam, you know, if I gave you an eviction notice today asking you to move out in two months, can you fight it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, of course you can fight it. Right? <laughs> so Adam, I might tell you to fight it, but <gasps> you might then do something that a lot of people do, which is this, where are you going to be next year, Adam? Hopefully where I live right now. But you can't guarantee that. That's right. And that stress often drives people to move. Right. And that stress is just for an eviction, but it can also be for a maintenance issue, for a you know, a landlord constantly coming into your unit. Again, the stress of just kind of not knowing what's going to happen is often enough to drive to people that kind of move out or pay the money or or give up rights they don't have to. Um, and this uh again often doesn't um uh show itself in really damaging ways, um, but sometimes it does. Uh, best example I can give you that was the uh, tenants in Hamilton who were killed by their landlord a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. a really tragic story because all the tenants were trying to do is get the landlord to stop, uh, fix the mold problem in their unit. Like mm -hmm. they were living in, in bad mold situation, right? And I mean, this is the problem. Why is it that a tenant has to do all this work to get this stuff fixed? You know, if I go steal $300 from Tim Hortons, mm -hmm. the police aren't going to come by and tell Tim Hortons, well, you can get that money back from this guy who stole it from you. You just have to take him to small claims court. Right. They would never say that. No, they would put me in chains <gasps> and try to force me to give the money back. Um, but that's not the way it works in the landlord and tenant sector, right? When a landlord is, again, ripping you off from money, what the law actually tells you is, well, you got to take them to the landlord and tenant board. You got to take them to court, right? Again, that shouldn't happen. Um, again, but it, it, it speaks to not just the difference in rights, but the difference in law enforcement. Uh, again, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, the stress of these situations, you got to do all this work just to get your landlord to follow the law. You don't want to do that. 
you should be able to call an enforcement agency, whether that's, you know, by law or public health um, or something to that akin. And then they are the ones that, you know, hold your landlord's feet to the fire. And if they don't fix the mold, they are the ones that, again, go after the landlord and make their lives living hell. Uh, again, uh, that doesn't happen now. And it's left to tenants and a lot of tenants, they just don't have the, you know, mental capacity or the stress levels to deal with that. Is that kind of the delta here is to have sort of like a more, I guess a, a more strict sort of legal and government apparatus, because I mean, at the end of the day, a landlord to tenant relationship is a human relationship and you can take your landlord to the, to the board and maybe the board rules in your favor, but you still have to live with your landlord to not perhaps not literally, but you know, you still have that relationship with them. Would, would it not be easier on all parties if we had a, a government that was a little more direct in terms of sorting these things out? No, it would be no. easier on the tenants. Yeah. Much harder on the landlords. Right. Which is why it doesn't happen, right? right. If you're a landlord and you have to actually face consequences for not doing repairs, you're going to do those repairs. And you're right. going to spend the money to do those repairs, which you don't want to do. Right. You'd rather, again, you know, oftentimes just let the place, you know, fall down as long as you keep getting your monthly check. The, the Most landlords, you know, there's this famous um, Stuart, John Stuart Mill quote, which is, you know, landlords make money in their sleep. They don't add anything to the community. They don't add any value to anything. They just, you know, suck money out of it. Well, a lot of landlords just like the first part of that quote, which <laughs> is money in their sleep, right? So that's what a landlord wants to do. They just want to collect the money and not have to deal with anything. Don't care about the law. Don't care about your rights. Don't care about, you know, basic standards. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a system where a law enforcement agency is, is uh, you know, holding their feet to the fire, that's way worse for them, which is why it doesn't exist. But it's way better for tenants, mm -hmm. um, which is also why it doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but it, in terms of just, you know, for a refreshing change of pace would be nice if something favored tenants, I guess, is what I'm I, you know, I, I think, it, you yes, you would have much better <laughs> housing outcomes. You'd also have much better right. landlords. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. You you do see scenarios where you know a landlord maybe gets a building, have no idea what they're doing, and like they run the building into the ground. Like it's actually, right. it's actually not in their long term interest. Right. They devalue an asset which could be much more valuable if they maintained it properly. All yeah. right. Not just valuable in terms of like to a renter, but you know if you want to flip the place, you'll get a lot more money for it. Right. right? So, yeah. In these scenarios, sure, it'd be much better to force a landlord to maintain their building for the, the long-term strength of the rental sector. Um, but again, that's not the main aim of the government, right? Right, the government right, right. is not friends with, you know, tenants. <laughs> it's <laughs> friends with landlords. It's friends with developers. And it's just doing whatever they want is in their interest. Maybe to wrap up, and, and one of the reasons uh, I, I reached out to you is because here in Guelph, we're facing a lot of the same issues with you know, high rents and limited supply and things. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are seeing rent evictions. They're fighting their landlords. Um, we have our legal clinic. We have our anti-poverty group. Sure. But there's not there's like kind of like no coalition fighting specifically in the realm of tenants. Right. So um, in terms of your advice for if people want to get organized and start, you know, start kind of like formalizing this fight for tenants rights, what's kind of some of your advice? Uh, my, my general advice is link up, um, keep pushing, uh, and try to institutionalize as best as you can. Now, that last bit, you know, a lot of people don't like that. It, it like, seeps into the 
nonprofit industrial complex. And, you know, the, <laughs> those criticisms are valid and I don't really want to uh, diminish them or belittle them. But I strongly believe that, you know, when movements get stronger, they institutionalize, they get staff, they get money, they get fundraising, they get policies, and they really try to push hopefully a progressive agenda. Now, you know, again, that doesn't have to be a nonprofit. Again, you can have a social movement um, that is well developed in that way. There are a lot of social movements, you know, the environmental movement that do that stuff and operate that way. But, you know, that's the whole point. Uh, the whole point is you need to tie people together. Uh, you need to, and then you need to push. Mm. Uh, it's kind of organizing 101. Uh, you know, it's a very, very simple answer uh, to maybe people listening that don't do organizing, but anyone that does organizing knows that what I'm saying is a Herculean effort, right? <laughs> uh, getting people to agree and get together and, you know, link up their aims from, you know, a host of different agencies, agree upon kind of campaign platforms, and then actually coordinate action to push that. That's a lot of work, um, mm -hmm. but you can get gains on that. I think we've been seeing uh, some gains on that in Ontario in the past 10 years. Uh, and again, a lot of times it's beating your head against the wall. Um, but uh, again, uh, a lot of times you do get uh, good victories that do help people uh, and ensure, you know, people are less taken advantage of and more able to stay in their homes. Well, Jordy Dent, we'll know you keep you you will keep on pushing and uh, maybe we can all do this a little bit of the same, uh, no matter where we are in Ontario. But for now, uh, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Hey, there, there's uh, you know, a lot of great folks in Guelph that we deal with and connect with. Okay. Um, so, you know, one of the things I always like to remind people is like, I think the organizing capacity is there. It's already there. It's all, all the work's already being done. Uh, oftentimes it just takes a difficulty to tie it all together. But uh, we're all going to keep trying to do that around Ontario and Toronto and Guelph and Ottawa, Kingston, Sudbury, Thunder Bay, London, any town we can. Okay, and once again, that was Jordy Dent, and uh, I didn't pull it up in advance because there is a lot of good information um, that would apply to uh, Guelph renters as well on the Federation of Metro Tenants Association website, and it's pretty easy to find. It's torontotenants.org. Um, so a lot of the rules involving tenancy and and you know conditions in which uh, you, what to do if you're if you're evicted that information applies province-wide no matter what and if you are in a jam um there is always uh the guelph wellington uh law clinic that you can access as well they have a van that even drives around the city and the county that uh, if you access them on social media you can find out where the van's going to be so right on know your rights know your rights that's it's almost labor day we're hitting the hitting the old classics here anyway yeah I it's a feeling that rises up in me around this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> As everyone knows. <laughs> Scotty hears that music. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's not about back to school. It's about Labor Day. <laughs> not, yeah. um, but that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you want to listen to it again, you can download it every Monday from our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can get it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on our social media feeds on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. We are getting through the cracks and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I will be back here on CFRU on Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show that I co-host called End Credits. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. 
And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter X, and Mastodon. And if you're joining us at our regular time on a Thursday, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Didn't we say we're not saying X? We're not doing X? Okay, I won't next time. It'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, be a lawsuit. And, uh, uh, I mean, if Elon Musk is suing us, he really has Twix. lost his mind. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, Twix. <laughs> That's taken. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah. You can... Wouldn't mind a Twix myself. Uh, you can hear other great programs just like Turtle Island Underground on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. As for this show, we're back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.